Oftentimes, companies will spend more time investing in a new piece of software or a photocopy machine in terms of doing Hmm. research and scouring prices and so forth. And they'll do a couple of quick interviews and think they made the right decision. Welcome to Matters This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every couple of weeks, we meet to discuss what's important to you and to all professional project managers. We try to talk with the best of the best, drawing on their experience and seeing what has worked for them. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me is the true voice of experience, Bill Yates. And today, Bill, we have another full house here in the studio. Yes, we do. It's great to have Laura and Don in the room with us. And I cannot wait to dig into this topic because... They are experts when it comes to hiring the best. So let's talk about hiring. As we all know, in today's economy, hiring the best people is more critical than ever. It costs a lot to find and interview candidates and to train new employees. No one can afford to lose time and money from a bad hiring choice. Employees are an investment, and we want a good return on that investment. That's why Don Lang and Laura Butcher are here with us. They are the founders of Blue Key Partners, a consulting firm focused on helping organizations develop their leadership talent through learning and executive coaching. Don and Laura wrote a course titled Hire the Best for Velocity's Insight Mobile Learning Platform. Laura has a background as an HR leader supporting hiring and talent decisions across multiple industries. And Don has experience as an assessor of talent and in helping leaders apply skills and techniques to get the right person in the right job at the right time. Don, welcome to Matters This. Laura, great to see you again. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just start with the basics, all right? First, getting to know a job candidate. To what extent is it important to learn more than just the person's job skills? Well, it's certainly important to understand the whole person because that's who shows up at work. Oftentimes, in an effort to try and get the best person, we focus on some technical competencies, some experience, some skills, at the exclusion of really understanding how does this person going to fit in the organization. And I was reminded of that the other day when I was talking to a hiring manager who hired a construction estimator. Lots of great experience in estimating significant construction projects. When they got to work, Immediately, they started looking at different ways of changing the work environment in their Mm. office. They wanted to move to a different floor because it was too noisy (laughs) where the other estimators were. They wanted a microwave brought in. They wanted someone to help do some of the tasks that typically the other estimators would routinely do. So very quickly, they're finding out, even though he's very skilled, He's not a good fit for that organization. And they're thinking at 90 days now, they may have to let him go. Mm. Oh, my. How do you sort of judge that, assess that before? Having a thorough plan for how you're going to approach filling this critical position is an important aspect of hiring the best and hiring the right fit. So understanding very specifically what's required in the role. And what are the specifications of the candidate that will be best suited for the position? We often discuss the difference between a job description, typically, and what we refer to as a job specification. So when you think about a job description, 
job descriptions were created largely in organizations to to grade jobs, to benchmark them with the marketplace for compensation purposes. Hmm. Job descriptions weren't created to fill the job or to staff the job appropriately. Hmm. So, But we, we t- use that all the time, don't we? we? I mean, do. that, that's kind of our first, that's like our introduction to somebody. Hey, are you interested in this position? Well, let Here's me show you a job description. description. And what we distinguish when we talk about a job specification is really focusing in on what are the results that this role needs to produce for the organization? What Mm. outcomes will this person be responsible for creating for Mm. the organization? So that drives a deeper level of understanding of what you're really looking for in this candidate, what outcomes they need to produce. Mm. When I was looking through the, the content for this course, excellent content, I was hanging out on that because I've been guilty of that, just showing candidates a job description and not really talking about what my expectations are, what kind of results I want them to hit. So give some examples. Uh, For instance, I was thinking, you know, maybe somebody's responsible for first response to a customer if there's a change request. And then I was thinking, okay, that could be in a job description, but maybe going deeper in the spec, it's, you know, what should that thing look like? What should that response look like? What's an acceptable email or, you know, or phone call or whatever, the kind of communication that we expect. And then the timeliness of it, you know, I don't want to be having a performance review with somebody later and go, yeah, you are responding. You're doing what's on the the job description, but it's not of the quality I expect, or it's not timely. What are some other examples that you guys have helped people with? Well, certainly back to the example you're mentioning, Bill, in terms of activities really around right. the job, right? Oftentimes we have in mind certain outcomes mm-hmm. that we're looking for. Like we want to raise the bar on customer excellence. Mm-hmm. We want to raise the bar on our responsiveness. We want to raise the bar on innovation in the changing work processes to be better at it as opposed to we're just satisfied with what has gone on over the past several years. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's helpful to give the extra thought before going to the marketplace to figure out, so who do I want, to figure out what do I really want to accomplish over the next 18, 24 months that is going to have an impact on our business. And once I, I can put some clarity to that, then I'm in a better position to actually start to break down. So what are the behaviors and competencies that Mm. are necessary in order to be able to achieve that. Okay. And that's where we would generate a candidate specification. Got it. So in the job spec, are you driving some metrics there? Or are you trying to make that measurable? Absolutely. That's what you would share with the candidate along the way. So there's mm. no, surprises. no surprise. They know what you're expecting and they can mm. perhaps even self-select out if those are not something that they want to achieve or don't believe they could achieve. That kind of thing. So it isn't a surprise when they come on board that now we're asking them to achieve certain levels of results. And that's, wow, that's news to me. I didn't hear that. Yeah, right. In the interview process, we were just talking about activities. Mm -hmm. So thinking about this specification, are we talking about like a 10-page document here? Is this something short, a briefer, one-pager? What what does it look like? If it's more than a page, it's probably too long. Okay. We're really looking at, I would say, somewhere in the three to six priorities Mm -hmm. and outcomes. 
good. More than that, you're not actually going to be able to assess the candidate around. And more than that, they're probably not going to be able to accomplish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They won't have clarity on what really is job one what matters. For them. Yeah. So we're talking about two separate specifications here, the job specification, the candidate specification. What exactly is that difference? So the candidate specification actually flows directly from the position specification. So when we talk about a candidate specification, we're trying to identify very specifically what are the technical competencies, experiences that are required to be successful in the role, but also those qualitative attributes, those things that really are the X factor, the things that will make the person fit with the culture, with the leadership, with the values of the organization. So those qualitative attributes become part of the candidate specification and driving those to some degree of specificity, where then you're able to focus your interviewing around assessing whether or not this person possesses those attributes, those qualities. What are some of the questions that you would ask as part of that candidate specification? I I know there's probably a lot of personal questions that you cannot ask, Mm -hmm. uh, even legally, in a job interview, but yet there are things that you need to ascertain that are going to be very important to whether this candidate gets the job or not. So what are some of those questions that you can use to get that information? Well, I think there's two steps to that. The first step is organizing what Laura was talking about in terms of the knowledge, skills, behaviors, experiences, X factors into certain categories, if Mm -hmm. you will. So what should the candidate have? What should they possess? What are the deal breakers? So what are the one or two things that even if everything else exists, if the candidate does not possess those Mm. characteristics or qualities or experiences, you can't go forward. And lastly, what can be learned? Top quality candidates want to succeed, want to grow, want to develop in their jobs. And if there's no opportunity for that, there's nothing someone's going to learn in the job, then why would a top quality candidate be interested in the job? So organizing all of that information, right, in terms of here's what we're looking for into those three categories begins to give you a process, if you will, for how to go about interviewing people, what things to ask for and when and how to later on begin to assess that. Because if you don't do that up front in terms of categorizing, afterwards it becomes too much of a sort of likability factor as opposed to legitimately they don't have that quality and that's a deal breaker, so we're not going to go forward. Sounds like you two really promote a lot of planning, upfront planning, before we start reaching out to candidates or posting positions. I appreciate that. Quick question, deal breaker. Give me some examples of deal breakers. Are we talking about just like personal attributes or maybe technical attributes, you know, knowledge, experience, or is it personality stuff or is it both? What are some examples? It can be both. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Don gave a great example as we started our discussion this morning about a situation where it was more a style of working that was not an appropriate fit in the organization. So those things can be deal breakers, depending on the values of the organization, the culture, the leadership, the fit with the team. So those factors need to be considered when you're categorizing Mm -hmm. and, and assessing whether the candidate possesses what you're looking for. 
In your course, in your Velocity course, you talk about something called a talent brand. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, what is that? What makes up a talent brand? Talent brand, the way we look at it is what's the value proposition that the organization brings to the marketplace for talent, for attracting and retaining talent. So what are those, what's the market reputation in the industry and with customers? What's the opportunity for growth? What's the reputation or image of the senior leadership in the organization and opportunities to develop as an individual in the organization? Those are some of the ideas around a brand, if you will, that is attractiveness. Certainly things like benefits and compensation and other kinds of perquisites are important as well, but it's much larger than that. It's why would people want to work in your organization and why will they stay once they get there? That's mm. what you need to ascertain. And you can do that by asking people who work there, asking people who were recently hired. You can ask search firms. You can mm. talk to a number of people to get that sort of list of qualities that define your brand and then hone that into a message in a tightly woven message that everyone the candidate speaks to is going to hear what those attributes are so that that brand is, is clearly messaged to the right people. I get the sense that the approach that you two really support is openness, transparency, both with the, the candidates and with the organization, the hiring organization, right from the start. Uh, you know, the job specification, even in, hey, here's our culture. Here's how we have fun. Here's what it's like when we're getting really serious. You know, when we've got a big deadline and we push, this is what it looks like around here. This is an open work plan or, you know, in terms of the office layout or it's closed or don't ever think you're going to use that conference room. That one's off limits to you. You know, so some of those things you just right from the start, you're transparent with candidates about that. You know, one of the things that is so bothersome, I think, for those who are hiring is it feels like it's just a big date, right? And whoever shows up for the date, on the first date, they look as good as they can. Their breath is fresh. You know, they sound great. They sound like the perfect fit. Sounds like you guys are trying to make it more of a, okay, let's just go hang out with each other and we're not on a date. You know, we're going to be very transparent and straightforward. What's going to have led you to this? Have you seen companies do this poorly or results driven? Well, we've certainly seen companies do it poorly, right? Oftentimes companies will spend more time investing in a new piece of software or a photocopy machine in terms of doing hmm. research and scouring prices and so forth. And they'll do a couple of quick interviews and think they made somebody. the right decision. <laughs> and yet it is so important to really get comfortable with the other party that you, you know that candidate, you know as well as you possibly can. Certainly no system is foolproof. There's always perhaps a, a wild card in there that you don't uncover. But the whole idea here is to minimize risk, yeah. to really get to know someone and have them get to know you at the same time mm -hmm. so that the likelihood or the probability that it's going to be a successful uh, working relationship is far greater. It's the cost funny. of a bad hire is enormous, just yes. thinking about it in a very tangible sense. It's the lost time that you have for not having the right person in the role. 
It's possibly search fees that you've paid recruiters to find candidates for you. Um, it's, it's all about the, the productivity loss of having someone who's not fully producing in the role. But it's also the intangible, the price it takes on the team right. that is circling around someone who's not performing well in the role. It's the reputation of the leader for making a making bad the choice. decision yeah. about who to bring into the organization. So it's both tangible and intangible, the costs mm. of making a bad, right. bad And hire. depending upon the role that the individual has and the impact in that yeah. role, that cost can average anywhere between one and a half times their annual salary. Mm. To I've seen it go with one client as high as 10 times mm. their wow. salary. Impact yeah. to customers. Oh. And, and, yes, yeah. 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 Oh, there was yeah. significant impact in, in that organization if, if the manager did not work out in terms of the customer mm. as well as a fallout or turnover by the team yeah. that reported to the manager. So there were multiple hires involved mm. that had to be completed later on. So yeah. there's a range, but it's typically mm. at least the initial cost of the hire on a full-time mm. basis. So. Yeah. You know, you're, you're hitting on some points that are right at the core for me. I think about the role of the instructors at Velocity Teach. And, you know, when I'm interviewing a candidate for instructor position, I'll let them know, hey, this is going to be a long process. We really want to get to know you and we want you to know who we are and what we're about because you're going to be the face of the customer or you'll be the face to the customer, the face of Velocity Teach uh -huh. to the customer. And, you know, you'll be putting on a class for a week. We're not going to be there. Nobody from the office will be there. It's just you. So you are Velocity to our customers. The way you react, the sense of humor you have when something goes bad in the classroom or it's too hot or the coffee's cold or whatever, you know, how do you respond? Are you empathetic? So yeah, it's so important. If you make a bad hire and then whether you're a consultant or instructor or whatever, if you have a customer facing position then you're going to have an impact on the company. And if we've made a bad hire, then there's a lot of fallout. It was funny, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about Patrick Lencioni. He's got a book, The Ideal Team Player, that I've referenced before. And he cracks me up. He said when he's trying to be transparent about the culture of the company as they're looking at candidates, to those candidates, he says, I don't think you're going to want to work here because blah, blah, blah. You know, we have a ping pong table and some of the guys just, they're really loud and rowdy when they're playing. It's going to be very disturbing, you know, or, or we just, we like hanging out on Friday afternoons. So some people are uber productive. So they go home and work on Friday afternoon because there's a lot of, you know, horseplay or whatever. He takes the approach of trying to talk people out of it because of the culture. Mm -hmm. We do talk about the importance of using candor in the yeah. interview process. So as you're the interviewer, the more candid you can be, you're more likely to have the candidate mirror that candor back to you. So if you're able to diffuse the natural tension or nervousness that exists sometimes in an interview setting, then with, you know, being candid, talking about, you know, what you've experienced in the organization, again, you're more likely to get that same response of candor and openness from the candidate. We've talked about the importance of pre-planning. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about interviewing a little bit more. How do you plan for an interview? How do you come up with that effective strategy? So when we plan for an interview, what we advocate for that is to begin to think about what's the process going to be like? How are we going to make decisions? How are we going to debrief after 
the candidates have been interviewed. How are we actually going to make a selection mm. decision, right? We're going to look at the people involved. Who's going to be involved in the interview process? And what are their skills and capabilities to conduct an effective interview and to assess data from the interviews? And then what's the plan for the interview sequence itself? How many interviews are we going to do? Is there a technical interview? Is there a phone interview? Is there a panel interview? Those kinds of things. So we want to consider all of those factors and then map that process out. And once we have the process, then it's a matter of simply coordinating the team of individuals that will be doing the interviews, matching them up with the candidates and working through that process and keeping the discipline of the process and the data collection going throughout that process so that when we get to the end of it, we have a clear understanding of what we're assessing in terms of information. So Don, you're talking about beginning with the end in mind. So you start that process knowing, okay, here are the data points that we want to all touch on. Here are questions we want to ask, things we want to document, and this is how we're going to assess at the end. Absolutely. All right. You guys talk about a I'm not going to say an ice, it's almost like an icebreaker, a good way to, to build that rapport early on, right at the beginning of the interview. Just talk us through that. So it's, a, it's again, a fairly um, simple technique that really opens up the candidate and warms them into the interview conversation. So we call it rapport building. And usually you're working from someone's resume or CV when you're conducting an interview So if you've reviewed their resume in advance, find something on the resume that speaks to an interest, a hobby, something in the community that they might be engaged in, something where you can engage them in a conversation very quickly that invites them to share something about themselves that they're comfortable speaking about. Mm. So it might be a hobby or where they went to school or or a city that that you share in common, something that uh, you could just remark about and have them share openly whatever they would like to about that. Hmm. So I know Nick used to be in a rock band many, many years ago. So Way he, long, long time ago. If he happened to put that on his resume, oh, yeah. I may use that as a way to show you have musical interest and talent, I see. I like it, though, because it, you know, it puts people at ease, and it's probably something they're passionate about. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been on the resume yes. or the CV. And certainly it's a, it's a way to get to know the person. Yeah. At another level, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the common small talk is about the traffic or the weather sure. coming into the interview. And really, you don't learn anything about the candidate. The candidate probably is just as stressed or uncomfortable as they were before. Mm-hmm. And so you're really not building any rapport, essentially, or getting to know the person at the same time. So there's really a two-factor opportunity there by starting the way that Laura mentioned. Yeah. And talking through that, you guys also, you say it's a good idea to let the candidate know up front, here's kind of the path of our interview. These are some of the questions I'm going to ask you, and here's why. What do you say about that? People know what to expect. They're more likely to be responsive in a way that's helpful for you to assess whether the candidate is the right candidate for Mm -hmm. the position. So, you know, again, laying out the plan, making sure that the candidate knows this isn't about tricking you. This isn't about catching you off guard. This is about being fully disclosing what the path is we're taking in the interview so that you can 
perform at your best and give us the best information about yourself and your qualifications and fit with our specification. I think as well, when we talk about the approach to interviewing, asking open-ended questions. So rather than interrogating the candidate, <laughs> is inviting them to share qualitatively what they bring to this position, what they can bring to this position. So using a technique that keeps the conversation largely focused on what the candidate is saying rather than on producing a series of questions that the person can answer with a yes mm-hmm. or no. Right. And I think if I remember right, the stats that you guys were using kind of as a benchmark, you know, it should be 85, 80, 85 percent of the candidate talking, you know, 10 to 20 percent of the interview team talking. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. How important, though, are uh, nonverbal cues? You know, body language. You you may have seen me squirm when he said I was in a rock band. <laughs> so, so I thought you were dancing. Yeah. <laughs> He's remembering the old okay, steps. Okay, right. we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But is is body language important? I mean, certainly it's important to try and and make the interview candidate comfortable during the course of the interview. Mirroring the candidate. Sometimes is a helpful way to to build rapport, but body language in terms of facial expressions and nodding and attentiveness conveys interest, conveys engagement with the candidate along the way. And so if you're looking disconnected from the candidate, looking down at at a resume in your lap or having a worse, your Your phone phone or your (laughs) computer screen nearby glancing over at that doesn't give any acknowledgement to the candidate that they're being heard, that they're being listened to. So body language does play a particularly important role. One of the things that I struggle with, because I am a big proponent of active listening and I try to get better at that. When I'm interviewing people, I'm also taking notes. I've found that it's important for me to take notes during an interview or, Mm. or later as I'm comparing candidates. I can't remember who said what. But it bothers me to no end. And I'm always apologizing to candidates going, all right, I'm going to take notes. Forgive me. I'm not going to make great eye contact, but I'll try to look up every now and then. What's the right balance? What, what's your advice on that? So if you have an organizing technique, you know, with the notepad or whatever method you're taking notes is helpful so that you can be very efficient in taking notes and uh, can repeat that over the course of several interviews right. with different candidates. It's also, I think, very important, at least for me, to ensure that I don't go running right into my next meeting, but that I take the five, seven minutes following the interview to complete my notes and Mm. to complete any insights or perspective I feel like I've gained about this candidate to capture those. Because, you know, a week may pass, two weeks may pass before the next interview Mm -hmm. in some situations. So it's important to you know, create a record of your thoughts at the time that can be reflected. I like the idea of highlighting or, or somehow drawing attention to, there's usually two or three big things that, that I'll learn about a candidate in a conversation. And you're right, I may have a list of 24 little bullet points. But in the moment, right after we conclude that, instead of rushing into the next candidate, you know, then take the time to, okay, go back. Point three was really important to me. Looks like you know, I'm not sure our culture will be the right fit, or it looks like this person's even more qualified than I thought for this. This is a positive or a negative. Yes. So. And it may be that this is one of several interviews that yes. you will have with this yes. candidate. Right. So there may be things that you want to say 
next time I speak with this person, here's an follow area up. that I want to follow up on. Here's an area that I want to go deeper in. Yes, those are important notes. Good. If you find that your interview time frame is going to stretch out over a period of weeks, it might even be helpful to take the notes that you've captured on a candidate and write up a summary for mm, yourself in good. terms of back to these are the things that the candidate has in terms of what they should have. Here's how they matched up against deal breakers. And here's some things that we see that they can learn. There's some opportunities there. And that here are the trends that we see in terms of patterns of behaviors over time so that that's not lost if a month goes by before you see that candidate again. And to Laura's point, you can actually go back and revisit that, which gives you a little more, because it's a narrative now, it gives you more detail than if you were to just look at some notes in a column, perhaps. Good stuff. There's probably also very often multiple people interviewing this one candidate. Mm -hmm. So how do you uh, take their assessment and, and put your assessment with it and, and maybe even other people? Is there a, a meeting involved or, or what's the best course of action there? First, it's important to understand what every person's role is in the interview process. So too often I hear of very negative stories about people's experiences being interviewed or being considered for positions in organizations where they felt like the interview process was disjointed. People mm -hmm. were not on the same page that they were interviewing or that they felt like they had the same interview five times <laughs> and yeah. nothing new was gained in right. any of the conversations by either party. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you have everyone who's involved in the interview process understand specifically what their interview needs to focus on, what they're responsible for uncovering in the conversation. And in some cases, an interview may be designated to be one about selling the organization to the candidate. So, you know, each person needs to understand what the role is in the process and then how they need to be prepared to bring that information back to a conversation, to the hiring manager, to help make the assessment of whether or not this person will receive an offer. Don, Laura, one of the things that we've done here at Velocity is we have, we felt that frustration too, both for the candidate. Okay, I've just told this story five different times to five different people. I'm getting pretty good at it, but I'm kind of tired of hearing it myself, you know? So then we've gone to more uh, of a group approach to interviewing a candidate. And in that, we've had attributes that one interviewer will be responsible for. So this person's responsible for looking at cultural fit. This person's looking for competency. So we know who's going to be in charge of certain questions. There are pros and cons to having three or four people interviewing one candidate at a time. How do you guys fall on that? Do you like it or not like it? A lot depends on the context of mm -hmm. the situation. Sometimes candidates don't particularly perform as well right? because they look at it not as a natural kind of situation. It's an inquisition. As, yeah, as, as <laughs> Laura was pointing out earlier, the idea in terms of building rapport, mm -hmm. it's much easier to build rapport with an individual sitting in a chair yeah. um, next to you and continue the conversation to be open and candid. When you have a panel discussion, the downside of it is one person's talking and the others are just staring at you, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is awkward in terms of for the candidate to build rapport evenly across multiple people. Mm -hmm. So that becomes somewhat of a challenge. 
in some organizations. I mean, that's the way that work is done. That's the way people are interviewed. Mm-hmm. That's the way meetings are conducted. So if it's a cultural quality of the characteristic of the organization, then the organization needs to figure out how to incorporate that reinforcement, that rapport building into the panel process yeah. so that it does more than just the inquisition, mm-hmm. as you pointed so out earlier. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Let me ask you about a scenario. You've finished the interview process. You've looked at all the candidates. You're assessing the candidates and you know, one's strong here, another's strong here, but nobody is really strong across the board in every way. What do you do then? Do you say, we got to bring in more people? Or do you say, no, nah, let's just go with the best, you know, or, or the least worst? Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, what do you do, Laura? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's important to understand how this particular role fits within the broader team. So you may have a situation, it's very common to have a situation where someone doesn't match everything that you've identified in the candidate specification, doesn't match 100% everything that you might have identified in the position specification. But weighing how does this person and their attributes and their experiences fit with the rest of our team? So if you have a team that's highly technical and has technical excellence, but may be lacking in more what we would think of as leadership kinds of qualities or characteristics, maybe it's more important to tilt your scale more to what are those qualitative attributes and what are the strengths that this person brings from a leadership perspective Mm -hmm. that might balance out our team more effectively. And the same thing is true on the opposite side. You may have a team who are highly collaborative, who work very effectively together from an interpersonal perspective, but may be lacking in some very specific technical arenas. So again, tipping your scale one way or the other as you're assessing what you've gained through the interview process on whether that candidate is the right person for the position. Mm -hmm. But it's also true that you may come up with, after doing all of your interviews, simply not finding the right person for the position. And it's okay to step back and say, let's reevaluate you know, should we go back and find other candidates? Should we reevaluate what we are expecting in this role? Hmm. But it's important to do that intentionally and not to accept the best available if your standard needs to be a bar higher than that. Right. Sometimes what we've seen is, as Laura just pointed out, that people go in two directions. One is I'll take the easy way out and I'll just compromise and go ahead and hire the individual and hope for the best. And then secondly, sometimes what they'll do is they'll just restart the exact same search over again, hoping that it'll have a better outcome without really revisiting the job spec, the candidate spec, Mm -hmm. and so forth. So that oftentimes, if it didn't work the first time and you've really done your homework to prepare for that, there's a good chance you may not come out that much better the Mm -hmm. second go around. Mm -hmm. So you really need to pause and go back and look at that process all over again. Having the two of you in the room with all the experience that you both have had in hiring and identifying talent and helping grow talent, I've got to ask you this question. I get the deal breaker piece, and I think everybody has to define what those attributes are as to the deal breaker. But the stretch piece, looking at a candidate and trying to determine how likely is it that they can grow into this? Maybe it's a specific area of the job or a responsibility. Can you give us some help with that? Is there a particular pair of glasses that we can buy where we can 
put those on and see right into that person to see their capability. How do you assess that ability of someone to stretch into that? So, for example, if the can be learned is to learn a new piece of software, yeah. a new software application, yeah. it might be during the course of the interview to ask questions to find out to what extent did they actually learn new software applications over the course of their career or other tools or other processes. So if there's a pattern of past behavior that says they've learned new processes, new systems, new tools, they can learn our system, our uh, application. So it's understanding what it is that they may not possess in terms of a knowledge or skill mm -hmm. in your organization, and then looking at their career history to see to what extent have they learned similar applications or mm -hmm. similar knowledge or similar skills that would indicate they can do that here as well. Past performance is the best predictor of future performance. Mm. So that's what the interview needs to tell you about is what has this person done yeah. in the past? On all mutual funds, it says it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're talking people, yeah. not There's financial. There's no asterisk. Yeah. 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 Read below. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been such valuable information. Obviously, we don't have time to delve into this in super detail, but for people who want to know more information, where well, we've got go? a we've got a course. Yeah, like, oh I, I, I'm, yeah. And, and that's your cue yeah. to tell us about. <laughs> <laughs> we have a course that I've I've been able to read through the transcript, and it's fantastic material. There's great content that Laura and Don have provided, uh, all the way down to really tactical stuff, questions to ask in an interview, kind of a checklist to make sure that I'm doing everything that I need to do from a planning standpoint. You know, we hit on some of those topics. But there's even uh, in the media center in the course, there'll be specific downloads, templates that I can use when I'm going through this hiring process to make sure I'm asking the right questions, asking in a logical order to look into past, past performance to be able to predict future performance and fit. So, yeah, so it's great content. Well, Donna, Laura, thank you so much again for being with us. We have a gift for you. We have one of our Manage This coffee mugs. Now, don't fight over it. I, I think, Laura, you may actually already have one because you've I been do, here before. I do. I will uh, Can we allow give this Dawn, one to, Dawn? To, to accept this one. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Seemed begrudging to me. I don't know if you're going to make it out of here with that or not. <laughs> well, thank you again for being with us. Appreciate you sharing. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk directly to our listeners now because we want to thank you for all the comments we've received about the Manage This podcast. If you haven't yet given us your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment on Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whichever podcast listening app you use. You can also utilize the Velociteach.com website or social media to give us your feedback. Please know that we use that feedback in making decisions about our content and our guests. And don't forget about those free PDUs, professional development units, for listening to this podcast. To claim your PDUs toward your recertifications, go to VelociTeach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. There's a button there that says Claim PDUs. Click right through the steps and you're good to go. Until next time, keep calm and manage this. <laughs>